it was a combination of things I thought I knew about the country that turned out maybe not to be true, and then all kinds of things I never knew about the country that were just, you know, the people were amazing, the food was amazing. In 1969, if somebody wanted to buy an American performance car, there were over 30 offerings. In 2023, currently, there are five performance car offerings for uh, American-made automobiles. Before I retired from the second career, I was already playing tennis and doing things with friends here. What I really like about retirement is now I can not worry about having to be someplace at a particular time. Let's peek inside the mind of a boomer. This is Boomer Randomness, a podcast dedicated to the baby boom generation with random observations about boomer life from boomers, including topics like music, movies, memories, marriage and divorce, retirement, bucket lists, kids and grandkids, travel, and a whole lot more. Here's your boomer host, Bernie Lucas. Welcome to the 52nd episode of the Boomer Randomness podcast which is also the final one of 2023. I'm working on episodes for the new year, but in this one, I'll look back at some of my faves from the past year. Baby boomers are those born between 1946 and 1964, which means that in the new year, boomers are ages 60 to 78. We're the second largest demographic group in the United States, a half percent behind millennials, but we remain the biggest spenders We can take credit or blame for some of the best and worst aspects of American society. Let me back up for a quick minute and tell you just a little about me and how this podcast began. A year and a half ago, I retired from a 48-year career in radio. At various times, I've been a DJ, a promotion and marketing director, a community affairs talk show host, and a commercial writer, voicer, and producer. I worked in six different cities and five different radio formats, starting with rock, and ending with country music for my last 30 years. The main job I had during much of that last gig was called Imager. You know those uh, short recorded things that you hear between songs where radio stations brag about what they do? I made those. And promos for contests and concerts for the country music stations in Washington, D.C. and Baltimore. And for several years, I produced promos for iHeartRadio events. If you listen to uh, iHeartRadio's country music stations between 2012 and 2022, you probably heard something I produced. The most unique job I had in my career was with a Washington, D.C.-based international radio network called VOA Europe. I was basically a DJ playing top 40 music for listeners in 50 other countries. Getting a request call from Sofia, Bulgaria or Gothenburg, Sweden is an unforgettable experience for a DJ. Along the way, I had many hobbies, and one of them was writing a blog about baby boomer stuff. I often speculated what I would do in retirement. Ten months into my retirement, I turned that blog into this podcast. I have two goals with boomer randomness. First, I want to keep busy in retirement and keep my career skills fresh. And second, I want to be an advocate for creative aging. Maybe you and I can help each other with that one. How am I doing so far? If you've heard my earlier episodes, you know that some are a monologue of random observations with just me, and some are conversations with boomers and others about random boomer-themed topics. So join me now for excerpts from three of the most popular of those conversations. 
First up, travel in retirement. Many boomer bucket lists include travel dreams, and retirement is often a great time to bring those dreams to life. I'm inspired by two well-traveled friends who joined me recently for a conversation about travel in retirement. Jan Thomas and Heidi Phillips, thank you for coming over here. Thank you, Bernie. Did you guys travel much before retirement, either for business or pleasure, Heidi? I traveled a little for business, not not all that often, maybe once a year. Um, and for personal, like for vacations, not too much. Jan, how about you? I actually traveled a lot for business. So aside from summer vacations and extending a business trip somewhere for a day or two to see some sites, and it was all in the U.S., so no travel outside the United States. Yeah. Let me start with just some specifics. Each of you has a very at least one very interesting one. But Jan, you went to Cuba. I did. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so Cuba had been on the bucket list for me for probably 10 years. And I can't even tell you what the attraction was, except you hear so much about this tiny little country and it's not clear what's really true and what's not. And um, I first tried to go there right before the pandemic. And we were going on a cruise ship. But then, as you know, under that administration, the rules changed and cruise ships weren't allowed in. So that trip got canceled. And then, of course, the pandemic happens. So as part of my 70th trip around the sun, I said, (laughs) you know what? I'm going there. Um, And you have to go on some kind of an educational tour. You can't just decide to go there and pack a bag and go. And it was really interesting. And it it was a combination of things I thought I knew about the country that turned out maybe not to be true, and then all kinds of things I never knew about the country that were just, you know, the people were amazing, the food was amazing. Seeing part of what was America's playground back in the 40s, you know, in the 50s before, you know, before the revolution. Sad, you know, because it's just rubble now, mostly. It was, it was one of those bucket list things. So the perception that that I get when I you know see it, things about Cuba, it's like um, all the cars are from the '50s and bright colors and terrible infrastructure, and I don't know anything about the people except it seems that they're poor. But that's not really the whole picture, is it? No, and in fact, I wouldn't say that the people were necessarily poor. What I was struck with more is it's not that people can't afford things; it's that the country simply can't get things. They might have money to buy more bread or buy more rice, but there is no more because everything is imported and place they could most easily get things from, they can't get things from. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, get 90 miles away. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But again, we, you know, we found the people just lovely. And it's interestingly enough, never felt unsafe anywhere. Well, that's good. Because uh, again, that's, that's some perception of perception that I have that it would be not necessarily a safe place to be as an American. But it is true that they do have old cars and they have, boy, have they preserved them and made a real tourist industry out of that. <laughs> Heidi, the one the, the one I, I know about that intrigues me to no end is Italy. Okay. For you, it's more than just visiting. You, you actually have some extended stays there. I have had some extended stays. I Went to Italy for the first time in 2015, I think, for my 60th birthday. It was a bucket list trip that 
I had wanted to do for many, many years. Um, in fact, when I was in high school, I had studied the Italian Renaissance and was very fascinated by that whole period of time. And so Florence was on my list because that was the birthplace of the Italian Renaissance. So went there for 10 days or so, you know, looking at Jan because she went with me. I don't remember the exact number of days, <laughs> but fell in love with the city. And so that started it. And then a few years later went for sort of a short trip. And then a year or two after that, went for three weeks, uh -huh. which was my first solo time traveling by myself, you know, in another country. Yeah. So, and then since then, there's been, well, last year I went for three months. <laughs> yeah, that's and, quite the extended stay. And I'm getting uh -huh. ready to go again for another three months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. What is that a culture shock? I mean, I know you've been taking some Italian lessons, but it, does that... Is that enough when you're in a place like Florence? Or, or I think so. I did not find, I mean, I find the, the people are very warm. Of course, I love the food and the wine of, you know, naturally yeah. and the art. I think the language is the biggest culture shock. And in a city like Florence or in Rome, where there's so many tourists that come through, you know, if you're in a restaurant, if you're in the main part of the city, if you're in a restaurant or a shop, they speak enough English to where you don't have to know Italian but they really appreciate it if you try to speak. Yeah. It's when you get outside of the main city centers, maybe a little bit challenging. And I'm thinking it's it's one thing to go there for a week or two mm -hmm. um, and, and getting around, but you're actually, if you're there three months, you're kind of a local at that point. Does that feel, how, how does that feel? What's interesting, I don't, is that when I would um, take my Italian lessons while I was there, I would actually walk to the school, which was about a 30 minute walk. And I'd have to pass through the main part of the city center where a lot of the tourists, you know, some of the main attractions. And there'd be so, and there were so many people because it was last summer. And in my head, I was going, I wish these tourists would just get out of my way. <laughs> so I got to where I was not thinking of myself as a tourist. Uh -huh. They were just aggravating me because they were everywhere and in my way. And it was hot. You know? <laughs> Any travel tips for people? Because you're pretty, both of you experienced in domestic and global I would recommend if you're, especially if you're leaving the country, is that, we, you know, we mentioned Rick Steves because he's right. very famous for his travel books. There are other travel books as well. Yeah, but his but are the I best. would, his are. Yeah. I would recommend before you step foot in another country to get a book. And like in his books, the back part of the book tells you things you need to know about things like tipping, taxis, all these little dining out, uh, you know, things you need to know culture-wise about that particular area or things to watch out for or be aware of. And so if you know that before you go, um, yeah. it makes your life a lot easier. I, I was in Florence last year and I was in a shop and I heard two people that I, they were Americans and um, complaining about the service in a restaurant. If you check and you, you know about the area you're going to, you know that like, particularly like Italy is an example, when you sit down at a table, they will not bring you the check unless you ask for it. So you can sit there all day and think you're getting really bad service that nobody, they think it's very rude to bring you the check, you know, before you want right, it, before right. you ask for it. So that would be my number one recommendation is to do some research on where you're going and the things you should know. Jan, anything? I think mine would be plan enough, but don't over plan. Leave lots of time for, you know, just experiencing the culture that you're in, whether it's in Paris, like sitting at a cafe and having a glass of wine and just taking in the life there. You know, you want to do 
the things you're going to that country to do, but don't overplan it. And always leave time for shopping. If you want to hear my entire conversation with Jan and Heidi about travel and retirement, dig back for Season 2, Episodes 12 and 13. Boomer Randomness. We're looking back at three episodes from the first year of my podcast. This one is about muscle cars and boomers. Little GTO, you really look at mine. Jim Mead is my car go-to guy. <laughs> Tell me about the two cars that are in your garage that we walked past coming in here. The one I've had the longest is a 1971 Corvette LT1 that I bought during my first job out of college in 1979. And um, it was replacing uh, what I had Uh, My first major investment, I got an inheritance of $3,000, and I immediately went and bought a 1968 Corvette L79 327 car. I accidentally walked into the wrong building on a business appointment, which was supposed to be an office building, but it was the same street address, and it was a garage, and no one was there. And I walked in the back, and there was still no one. It was a Friday afternoon, not a soul, and I walked through the door and this cavernous garage area opened up before me and there 20 feet ahead was this LT1 Corvette that was in perfect shape. And I went, oh my gosh. And this voice said, do you want to buy it? And I said, yes, God, I do. And this guy came around the corner and he said, yeah, man, this, this lady dropped it off five months ago to for us to work on it. She never came back. She left the state. And, you know, they got, you just you just pay for it. And I did. And I'd always told myself, there, you know, there's nothing against yellow, but I never liked yellow cars per se. Yeah. And, and the other car out there is yellow also. Exactly. But see, that may, that's a 1970 Dodge Dart Swinger that was converted from the 340 small block, which, which made it actually the, the perfect muscle car in balance and performance of almost any make, actually, outside the Corvette. But it was refitted with a 383 uh, engine, and but it, the, the, the Dodge and Plymouth, they combined all of their performance cars, which they were like six different cars you could get in a given year, and they aligned them under a performance moniker and the Plymouth was the rapid transit system and the Dodge which they still employ to this day is the Scat Pack and the Scat Pack logo was a, a bee a vengeful mean looking bee with slicks and that is still the icon for even the modern day Dodge performance Mustang Sally. What's your everyday car? Well, my everyday car is uh, an old Jeep Patriot 2009 that um, was produced when Mercedes-Benz owned Chrysler. And um, it's the last body style that reflects the old Cherokee, Jeep Cherokee lines that were famous for Jeep from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And that was the last body style, you know, the boxy, uh, sharp-edged Jeep body lines, but it has the Mercedes 2.5-liter transverse-mounted four-cylinder, which when I got it, I was kind of in an electronic uh, 
variable CVT, constant variable transmission that I thought would blow up. But that four cylinder and that little automatic transmission are pushing 190,000 miles. I've done nothing to it. You said something to the effect of uh, perfect car offerings, and this is the last year of something. In 1969, if somebody wanted to buy an American performance car, there were over 30 offerings. In 2023, currently, there are five performance car offerings for uh, American-made automobiles, and that's the Corvette, the Camaro, Ford Mustang, the Dodge Charger, and the Dodge Challenger. And uh, this is the last year for the Dodge Challenger and the Dodge Charger. They were bought by a European concern that is eliminating our beloved gas-fired engine muscle cars, and these cars will no longer be available. And Dodge, with their very aggressive advertising campaigns that they've had the past 20 years about their performance, their current campaign is last call, making light of a bar call when it's closing but like this is the last call if you want to dodge or challenger or charger this is the last call to be able to get one because they're going all electric next year you see that tear running down each side of my eye i do for a reason (laughs) and it's funny the two the vet and the mustang they're basically like the first and now the last of the the muscle cars Absolutely. Of the muscle cars during what I hail as the golden age of the American muscle car, which was from 1964 to 1974. It's, you know, ironic that that's how it's come to be. The first two are going to be the last two. I did record one more thing on my iPhone as I was leaving Jim's house. He fired up his two muscle cars. Thanks to my friend Jim Mead for talking about muscle cars in the boomer era. That episode, season three, episode three, is one of the top five of the first 51 episodes. Jim and I are planning another car chat in the new year. This is the Boomer Randomness Podcast. One more look back at selected episodes from the first year of the Boomer Randomness Podcast. This one is about second careers in retirement. And my guest in this episode is my longtime friend, Sherry Bracken. You grew up in California. For some brief period of a couple of years, you ended up in New Orleans. We met there. Three years. That was wonderful. Yep. Yeah. And in that three years, you and some friends were going to this pizza parlor where I was the DJ (laughs) in the back room playing oldies. And you were my regular. Who is that guy? (laughs) Yeah, really. And then you moved back to California, but we kept in touch. At some point, you got married and moved to Hawaii, where you still are. We have been here 29 years in Kona on the big island of Hawaii. You had a career in in various aspects of telecommunications. And at some point, your husband got a, um, a buyout opportunity from where he was working. And you had a business that you were that you started to wind down and both of you moved to Hawaii and did some freelance stuff, and then you started a whole second career. Of course, I'm sure it's very ironic that my second career was in radio for 17 years. I'm retired now, but I had a 17-year career here in Hawaii in radio. But my focus, you were more music and programming. 
I was radio news. I hosted a weekly interview program. And in a small state like Hawaii, it's very easy to be able to interview people like the governor and our United States senators and mm -hmm. politicians, as well as ordinary people. And also did news for our statewide public radio station, Hawaii Public Radio. So I followed in your footsteps, Bernie. Yeah, I think so. Did you expect that you would just do anything else? Or did you just be retired? Or were you thinking you might be doing something else? Well, when we moved here, you know, after many, many years with the Bell system and then working for a consulting company, even though my husband was ready to retire since he got the buyout, when we moved here, I have too much energy to have been retired way back then. So I actually went to work for a temp agency and I, I worked at various kind of temporary things. I really didn't anticipate the great opportunity and the fun of being able to get into what is my perfect job, which was my radio job. You know, that was just lucky. Although I was working with some radio stations, I, I helped some nonprofits. So I would send in press releases and sometimes I'd go on the radio and talk with the guys about whatever it is that was coming up to support this particular nonprofit. And one day, the this brand new radio station company guy called me and said, you know, we were getting your press releases and we're looking for somebody to do live update on events on our station and also a weekly interview program. And I thought maybe you would know of somebody. And so I, of course, raised my hand and said, <laughs> that somebody is me. Uh -huh. I didn't think I would not work because I just, well, and the money also, you yeah. know, you can't live in Hawaii without working a little bit. Yeah, I didn't expect to get the career I did, yet I just, I loved my career with the Bell System, three different phone companies, AT&T, South Central Bell, Pacific Bell, but I just had such a fabulous time in the radio career and what a great opportunity to get into it. So I was um, a little over 50 when I started in the radio career, but fortunately that was not an impediment. Retirement. So a lot of people, you know, in boomer, at the younger end of the boomer range, range are thinking about it and uh, and planning for it. Did, what kind of planning did you do or did you do planning financially and, and maybe <laughs> visualizing what you might be doing in retirement? Well, first of all, the financial part. Yeah, absolutely. I looked at, you know, what money I would be getting at what time and making a decision when to take Social Security Fortunately, at the time I joined the Bell System, they had a defined pension plan, even though I left well before the typical ending of a career, I knew I would get some small amount of money. And my husband has retirement from his job, so we weren't that worried about the money. We don't live really extravagantly. I mean, we're not out there buying new cars all the time. But yeah, I did think about it. and. In that retirement, I never envisioned it not working in the most recent retirement where I have retired from radio. Yeah, I do think more about it, particularly because we're in a time of some inflation. And as far as planning for retirement and what one does after retirement, before I retired from the second career, the radio career, I was already playing tennis and doing things with friends here in Kona. What I really like about retirement is now I can not worry about having to be someplace at a particular time. After tennis, I can go to breakfast with friends and I don't have to worry about, gee, I have a two o'clock appointment to interview somebody, but before that I have to spend many, many hours preparing. So it's just the 
the time freedom that I really appreciate about being retired. In retirement, do you have any trouble keeping in touch with people that you used to be more in touch with when you were working? I think that's always an issue when one retires because you don't see each other all the time. So a, a little bit, yeah. You have to think about who you want to stay in touch with and then figure out how to do it. But a lot of the friends that I socialize with are people that I knew through tennis or other activities here on the Big Island, and I still see them. How early is too early to be thinking about and maybe planning for some kind of retirement? Let me just say, when I joined South Central Bell, I was 24 years old. And at that time, I made a conscious decision to put all the money I could into my retirement account so I would be capable financially of retiring when I got to be at a young age, like 60. So I think you should start planning for your financial part of retirement immediately. And I mean, truly fund everything you can. Beyond the financial part, just enjoy the working experience, make friends, enjoy those friends. Think about what you might want to do in the future, if you do think you want a second career and, you know, just enjoy life is all I have to say. Retirement for me is a really good thing, but also most people don't necessarily work that close to where they live. So always get involved with local entities where you live, meaning I think it's a really healthy thing to support nonprofit entities. Find one or two that kind of suit your particular needs, get involved with them close to where you live so when you do retire, there is that outlet because I think it can be a pretty big shock if you retire and have suddenly nothing. If you want to hear the whole conversation with my friend Sherry Bracken, scroll back to Season 2, Episodes 1 and 2. As I said at the beginning, this is the 52nd episode of the Boomer Randomness Podcast. Some are just me and some are conversations like the three you just heard. As always, I appreciate you for listening, and please tell your friends about this podcast. I'm Bernie Lucas, wishing you a Happy New Year. Hey, here's what's coming up on Boomer Randomness. I post new episodes on Tuesdays. Some episode topics I'm working on for 2024 are aging boomers with no children, memes, t-shirts, and dad jokes, running for office in your community, and another conversation about boomers and cars. Learn more about Boomer Life and sign up for episode updates at boomerrandomness.com and check us out on the Boomer Randomness Facebook. Okay, Boomer, thanks for listening and tell everyone you know about Boomer Randomness.